Hi, book club members. I'm Jen. And I'm Carrie. And this is Warhammer 40k Book Club, where we read from a crag. This is episode number 45, and our book is Pariah by Dan Abnett. We both have it digitally, so we don't have a copy to hold up. The book is about the the start of what I think is going to be... Ah, see, here's my Kindle cover. It looks like a composition book. Love it! Yes! Very stylish. Oddly, I feel as though that's somewhat appropriate for this. Um, The book is the start of a trilogy starring Elizabeth Beckwin. Kind of. Kind of, yes. We posted posted several questions on our site, wh40kbookclub.com, and we encourage participation in our conversations via YouTube, our site, or Encrypted Vox channel. Spoiler warning. If you somehow haven't read this nearly 10-year-old book at this point, uh, go Uh, to the site. Be nice. I hadn't read it either. That's fair. Uh, go to check out the questions and then come back and check out this episode as we're going to be talking about it from start to finish in great detail. With that, let's dive in. As always, did you like the book? Loved it. <laughs> it was such a slow start. Like, mm-hmm. I guess I did the, like, the first like seven chapters. I was like, oh my God, this is the most boring thing I've read in a long time. And I just read Peter Fehavari. I'm not apologizing for that comment. And then it was about chapter 10 that it just took off. Mm-hmm. I read this book when it first came out. And at the time, I hated it. And I think it was because I was fresh off the heels of the Ravener series. And as we go through this podcast, you guys, I'm having like a lot of conflicting emotions <laughs> that are really surprising for me, given this book. Because I think time and distance, all of a sudden I read it with like fresh eyes and I blanked 90% of this book from my mind. The only thing that I remembered really was that she ran into Eisenhorn and she ran into uh, Ravener. That was really all I remembered. Um, So coming at it with fresh eyes and I think so much distance, I also greatly enjoyed this book. I do have to say, because I bought this, because again, I know I told this story either on a Patreon episode or something, where I was, you know, I had bought the Ravener trilogy on uh, mm-hmm. on my Kindle, and there was a special intro where Dynamnet talked about his process of writing books, and he mentioned the the Beckwin trilogy, and I was like, what the hell are you talking about, man? I hadn't heard of it. So mm-hmm. I saw Pariah, and so I immediately bought it, but I didn't read it. I was like, I'll wait till I'm done reading the trilogy. Well, when I was done reading the Ravener trilogy, I was, I was done with that world, just that whole mm-hmm. thing. So I think if I had read this immediately after finishing Ravener, I might have been more annoyed. Right. I think I would say that that would be like my big, if I could, if you were like just getting into the universe, like obviously you read Eisenhorn first. Maybe read a little bit of Ravener. Um, I don't know. I think you need Ravener for this. I think unfortunately you need the whole trilogy, which... Mm-hmm. I have strong feelings on, but um, the problem is I don't think you can then just rush into this one because yeah, I think it, depending on how much you liked Ravener, like if you get to the end of the Ravener trilogy and you're like, oh my God, I love this, then maybe, but for people, like if you got to the end of Ravener and didn't love it, I still give think, this book some time. But I still think you also need the Magos. You're absolutely right, actually. Um and I don't mean yeah. just the Magos. I mean, even the short stories in between. Because, like the entirety of the tome. Yes, because like I, a lot of my questions that I have tonight have to do with some of the short stories 
from the Magos. That's fair. So before we dive well, in, I didn't ask what if it was part- fair. That's what my questions are. <laughs> so the other night we oh, were hanging out. I know, right? We were hanging out with my daughter's best friend's family. And her mom had said she was like, my daughter now says, to be fair, or that's fair. She's picked that up for me. So I'm like, oh, you know, watch myself on that one. Anyways, I'll mansplain you as much as I want. Uh, <laughs> what part stood out to you? Oh, let's see. Where to begin? <laughs> Maybe the part where you texted me and said you're going to shit yourself, which I did not. <laughs> for the record. Yeah, for the record, I did not. Let's see. Oh, good. I, I got to this part and I just started laughing and because I, I had totally blanked this part out of my mind as well. And I just texted Carrie and I was like, you're going to shit yourself. And she was like, over what? And I was like, you'll know. <laughs> right. There's like a few other moments that happened. I was like... Is she really referencing that? I don't think so. But then you got there and we're like, oh. But basically it's like, you know, we got this war blind guy, Death Row, and his dog. Like, I kind of loved his dog from the very beginning. I had a feeling. Um, but he saves Beckwin like twice. And he's a war mm-hmm. blind, so it's really risky for her to even talk to him because he may just turn around and be like, oh, another quarry. But yet she she knows him. Like, he's, like, known at the uh, Maze Undo. And so she just asked him, like, why'd you save me twice? And, uh, and he was just like, I was told to. And she's like, you're one of his. And he's like, yes. And uh, she's like, Eisenhorn. And he was like, yeah, okay. And she said, well, who are you? And he thinks about it for a minute because he like she like part of his visor gets knocked off and she's expecting to see this horrible mutant like all the war blind are. And so she sees a very handsome face. It's like, who are you? And he thinks about it and says, I'm Alpharius. Now, whether he's a member of the Alpha Legion, whether he's really Alpharius. Okay, you know, I, it doesn't matter. The big thing is, even if he's not either of those things, the fact that he knows Alpharius. I think it tells you that he is. And because remember the Emperor's the only reason that I am convinced he is is because remember when he's fighting that Emperor's children guy, when the mask gets knocked off and he's how? Like so you have to ask yourself, like, what would because an Emperor's children guy, Emperor's child, there has to be a singular. Like you have six no, dice, you have just, one die. You have an Emperor's child. We're gonna go with that. No. Um emperor's children dude is so long though anyways when he's like how like you have to think to yourself like what would take him aback like that and can you imagine it's been like he would definitely know what a what a um alpha legion guy looks like and can you imagine after like ten thousand years you're in some shitty back alley on some crap planet and all of a sudden you're just like what well like you i mean okay Sure, but just my whole thing is, like, even if he's not, he's just some regular human, like, that's, you're not supposed to know. Alpharius, it's because, Abnet. Okay, I realize that. But even, like, you know, Eisenhorn doesn't talk about, you know, the, because, like, uh, we even saw this in with, um, what's his face? Chris Rates, Inquisitor, when he sees the 18 
Oh, right. And he's like, who's the other nine? So that's not even something that Eisenhorn would be. He would entirely tells you a little bit about how far he's traveled, though, huh? Yeah. Like, and arguably, which we'll talk more about this later, but kind of makes sense that the Alpha Legion might be a little interested in Eisenhorn because he's up to stuff. He's up to stuff. So I mean, and things. So there's there was that. There was I don't know the final sentence of the whole book. Um, I did laugh when uh, the Maisondu is getting attacked and Sebequin's running through it, and she runs into a box. So like she's like, "There's this floating box," <laughs> but she has her limiter turned off, so. He can't talk to her. He can't do anything. She can hear some muffled stuff. Why not? It's like, it's like a, you know, demon box. That was pretty funny. Oh, yeah. And I also liked uh, when she's talking with Nail. And and he's basically giving the history. Because, I mean, now we know. Because we wondered, why did he go back with, with Eisenhorn? Uh we saw that in, in the Magos and he's kind of talking about it and she's like well why is Talon back and doing this he's like I don't know I guess he got bored writing books that made me laugh <laughs> that made me laugh too um, one of my favorite running well it's not a gag but one of the running references I guess throughout the entire Warhammer 40k catalog is the spheres of longing and the fact that so for a long time there like that would be Abnett's little oh here's how like upper crust or educated this one particular character is because like at one point gaunt references the spheres of longing and yeah gaunt would absolutely know that but then it starts showing up in other books Mm -hmm. in the same guise and i it's just one of my favorite things that it's like no this is just a book that exists and everybody who's anybody knows this book so when she when he mentioned that i was like oh you (laughs) That's another thing with this book, because they kept mentioning dates, you know, which is very rare in these books. Yes. And so, you can tell how old it is, huh? Yeah, because when I talk about, you know, this that was back in the year um, 450. And she's like, that was 50 years ago. I was like, OK, so now so it's the year 500 and we are still 500 years away from what's currently going on. That's amazing. So I guess Eisenhorn doesn't end the world which that's that's nice isn't it trilogy's not over yet true but but then again yes we since it is 500 since we are now 500 years later obviously he 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 doesn't but it's refreshing like when they start throwing out years and you're like oh god i know exactly when this happens (laughs) it is very refreshing and they're not gonna have to retcon it so i have to get this out is my part that stood out to me because i loved this book but I have one major complaint. And I know exactly where Dan Abnett got this concept. And I hate it there too. I hate the source material. The limiter cuff. If I could undo any plot device, it would be the limiter cuff. Because he needs to figure out whether it works or not. So, the pariahs are soulless. They, they have no soul. That's why they are null entities in the warp. That is why psychers can't touch them because psyker magic works off of the warp. They are blanks. So when they first introduced the limiter cuff, I think it was actually a necklace. 
um, I think it was in the second or the third Eisenhorn book. They discuss. I just remember Ravener had one, and I want to say it was a thing on his collar because he kept talking about his yes, neck. his collar, yes, and it was more of like a dampening effect. Like if Tanawalea walked into a room, everybody would be like, "Whoa, what?" But I imagined like with the limiter, like it literally just limits it. So maybe you could get within a couple feet of her and then be like, "Ooh, that's not right." The fact that turning this on somehow gives them a soul and it's strictly as a plot device because patients kiss queen that she is cannot go up against a blunter because while she is a combatant, she relies so much on being such a powerful telekine, Mm -hmm. right? So they need a way for patients kiss to overpower her. They need a way for Ravener to be able to talk to her. But, or Eisenhorn, to be able to talk to her, right? Because, ooh, it's kind of mysterious and you know that it's Eisenhorn, right? That's their wink, wink, nudge, nudge moment. When she goes to the bottom of the basilica, they're like, oh, she's a black soul, which is another word for a pariah. And the word bearers, who know a thing or two, are like, no, she's not, because she's got this cuff on. Later, she talks, she's looking through Shadrake's glass and she's like, oh, that's how he found us. Because I'm a pariah, I stick out like a sore thumb. No, we have just established that you do not appear as a pariah when you're wearing the fucking limiter cuff. Excuse my language. And I know that Dan Abnett took that from X-Men, the collars that dampen the knees. I, I was actually thinking of somewhere else, actually. Oh, really? What were you in. thinking? Um, your favorite fantasy series. Wheel of Time. Oh, Right. I think it's because of his background in comics. I, it reminds me so much of the X-Men. And the X-Men, I hate the X-Men callers too. Because while I do know that it enabled you to finally have the wedding issue between your two favorite characters. I'm really sorry. But it was a plot device so that you could have regular baseline humans have a way to counter these mutants who oftentimes have demigod-like powers. So they created these limiter callers. The limiter cuff, I hate it either works or it doesn't. And if it works, you need to explain to me how it gives them a soul. Like, I need to understand this. Like, I know we just talked about um, in another I, podcast, we I talked had... about Pet Cemetery. Mm-hmm. I don't need to know how the cemetery works. I need to know how the cuff works because you're breaking your own goddamn rules. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. No, next week. I am. No, I am actually totally on board with this because. Um... Several times in reading it, I, I kept asking, well, how does this thing even work? Because it just seems to only work in very convenient times. And that I don't like that. Like It works, but it's plot convenient. But because his will should never be able to work on her. Eisenhorn's will, his voice, should never be able to work. The fact that never. he's talking, that Ravener's talking in her head. No, that should not happen. He should not be able to telepathically... Talk about, and this is something that was even in Ravener, like to the point when Zale was speaking to the blunter that they had. And he was like, how are you doing this? And he's like, I don't know. Can you keep reading to me? You know, as. Which I think I've said on. Well, I think it was one of our Patreon even, episodes. Because even in. Hated it. Even in Eisenhorn. He talks about how he couldn't use his will on Elizabeth. You know, right. And has, even once she has that blunter collar, like, because he talks about them having that, like, they had created this collar or something. 
he still it was still more of like a, oh now i can get within like speaking distance of you and it doesn't feel like i've just jumped into a pool right it was actually one of those things to i think kind of help her be on the ship so she wouldn't just ruin the astropath and the nav well he had a his astropath and navigator were the same but uh so it wouldn't kind of ruin that guy because you know right. he kind of has to see through the warp and stuff well and, and also like not only is she good friends with Eisenhorn, they they talk about how they both have an attraction to each other. So so why couldn't she why couldn't she wear that and be with him? Oh my god, that was my exact thought when as like, soon as Eisenhorn talked to her, I was like, "You sons of bitches!" They could have been sleeping together and like gotten married and had children. Yeah, they could have been like my favorite X Men couple. Yes. Anyways, you guys. Like, that is still the one romance that just ripped out my heart and stepped on it. And I still, I think everybody here knows, I think I've mentioned in other podcasts, I hate Eisenhorn in a good way. I love to hate him. But I have so much anger towards this character. And if the limiter cuff works like that, Elizabeth deserved better. Anyways. Let's talk about Elizabeth for a minute here because we get to well, see, see a lot of Beckwin. See, like, I want to go down this hole of the rabbit hole now because I'm like, if they, if that did work and they could have been together, none of this would have happened. We wouldn't be here. Also, I would think that the Sisters of Silence would want them. So, like, at least they could have stayed on Terra. At least they could have been like, no, 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 we've got souls. It's cool. But don't make us angry. They're kind of like that. Although to now Alea, I imagine that if you would have given like, we're to like be like, "Hey, we have this limiter cuff," she would just destroy it. Do you like with oh, this thing new, with her new sword? As she do with her bare hands. <laughs> I kind of imagine she would just exactly. So, first off, let me ask you this really quickly. This is a return to first person point of view. The thing do you he love hates. this is, yeah, but do you love it as, as much as I do? Uh, I guess it depends on how it's used. Um... Like in this book, did you love it? I loved it. Yes, I, I did. Especially especially because in the very beginning, like I wasn't really sure which Beckwin this was. You know? It's like because we don't know anything about her life before um Eisenhorn picked her up. And I always thought it was so interesting in that first Eisenhorn book, he was he basically takes her on and he has her like pose as his wife and she immediately hops into that role and plays it up as like a perfect actress, like so believable. Mm-hmm. So when I see her like, you know, practicing all these different roles, I was like, well, this makes sense mm-hmm. that this would be like what she was doing before when she ended up meeting meeting Gregor later. Right. But no, it wasn't nearly as cool as that. She just always had that ability, I suppose. Well, they were definitely training her to be an infiltrator, right? Like, we need to get you in. And I oh, well, loved that. Well, this one, yes. But I'm talking this about, one, yes. I'm talking about the original Well, the other one. one, the other one, because remember, she starts life as a prostitute. Right. So you could imagine, and especially when people naturally hate you. But you don't know why, because you don't know what's wrong with you. You just know that people really don't like you. Mm-hmm. You could imagine that you would become very much like a chameleon, that you would start to have that just, I can be whatever you want me to be. Right. Just like me. It, it just was, I just thought it was so interesting, just, you know, how quickly. Agreed. You know, because it reminded me of this really terrible video game that was, um, there was, I don't remember exactly what it's called, but it was the Resistance game on the Vita. 
And I love the Resistance series. I love the I love alternate history. But when this firefighter, I love the idea of tongues to a firefighter. All right, this is so cool. But then he immediately picks up a gun and becomes a complete badass. Nope. That's not how this works. That's not, not how, how any works. of this works. Well, and I did like that they explain how much training she has and how much she has gone through and that her entire life has been about this. And I really liked, I enjoy his first person point of view. Look, I totally understand why he doesn't like it because I'm sure it's a bear to do because you can't ever hop away. And he did it with Ravner and I didn't like it. I loved getting to hear Beckwin. And especially, it's kind of fun because we know who Ravner is. We know who Eisenhorn is. But like her whole, what is going on here, was just great. Right, but it's not her. It's her, but it's not her. So it's not the same. So it's not like we really well, ever got to know the original Beckwin either, what she was thinking. Well, no, but we get to see this one. And you do bring up an interesting point. They call her Beta Beckwin, obviously implying that the Elizabeth was Alpha, Clone, once you open the door to cloning, which oh, I have such strong feelings on, but I mean, it's entirely possible that there's a Delta, a Gamma, like there could be others that would not be beyond the Cognite for right. that. Well, especially since you said they were trying to collect them, like they really wanted these pariahs because they could learn the unwords and wield Correct. the unwords without damaging themselves or, you know, anything or anything else. I mean, that's always a possibility, but it also kind of brings up something else. But, you know, because they don't have the source material anymore because Elizabeth is dead. What happens? You keep making a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy. Well, if you remember, the ship got lost. They say the ship was lost. So it's possible that someone somewhere has the body and they're just milking that for DNA because and it would make sense, right? If you find a powerful blunter... Why not just keep cloning it? Right? Not like they're going to know. I mean, but like, if, obviously, if it's not like Beckwin knows. If that's actually the case. You don't know. Right. I did like that they softened it and were like, she's your mother. I was like, right. Because, she, though. Because, I mean, but they basically said that she was created from her genetic material because they said that she looks like her, but yet she's not her. Be, like how right. a daughter would be. Right. Or, yeah. I mean, there's also like there's always that old thing like if they were to clone you but drop you off with a family in France do you get you get something that looks exactly like you and is you but would not be you mm-hmm. it, they the whole concept seem, was kind of fun they, they kind of made it seem to me that she didn't even really 100% look like her because they would say things like don't make that face because then you look like her which is like the same thing I'll say about my sister's daughter because she's given me a look mm-hmm. that I haven't seen from my sisters since I was 12 I was just like oh my god this little girl's gonna kill me now you know um think that's kind of how I interpreted it so it's like maybe they, they took that DNA they I you know what I don't know I wasn't part of the lab and I guess it doesn't really matter probably doesn't really matter but it is kind of a fascinating concept so she's a hot commodity a few people want her. Uh, so you have these word bearers. Obviously, let's back up. You have the cognate who clearly want her for their purposes. You have the word bearers who want her because. And then you have this emperor's child. Come at me. You have 
Simper's child who wants her as well. And then the whole Glaw family, which is soon as that woman said. Glaws. Oh. Like, like, of course. Of course the, the Glaws she was like, have got to be involved in this. When she was like, my maiden, my family name is Glaw. I was like, oh, I see you. <laughs> like, yeah, we the, know who you are. The cool thing, though, to me with that whole thing is that, you know, we knew that the Glaw family had aligned with Trader Marines. But we never really knew who because it kind of didn't matter in no. the end. Now we do. Now we do. And so reading this book, especially when he introduced the Emperor's Child, I cannot think of his name for the life of me right Teak. now. Teak. When he introduced Teak and just the descriptions of him and that smile, which you know that I have a thing about. Um, he was so creepy. But like my first thought was, this is vintage Abnet. Like this is the Abnet that we fell in love with. And damn it, I love this. And that character was so creepy. Yeah. Well, well done. Absolutely loved him. I think perhaps he was my favorite of her pursuers. Because we're going to talk all about Eisenhorn and Ravner later. Of the bad guys. And I say that because Eisenhorn. But of the bad guys, he was my favorite, I think. Um, I think just because I liked his personality, how off-putting he was and unsettling. No, he's the Emperor's children. It's what they do. I also really enjoyed the whole idea that Beckwin was like, no, I I investigated this artist. He's just lame. And then she gets to the house, Claw's house with all of his art and she's like, yeah, I really missed the boat on this one. <laughs> or did the Cognitate just be like, oh yeah, you're totally right. Nothing going on there. Could have been. Right, that could have been too. Because we definitely know that Glaw, historically, mm -hmm. yeah, right? Um, but the word bearers and the ecclesiarchy, that was an interesting one. What was your take on that? You know, it's so fitting to me. Just because of, I know... The irony was thick. I know where Games Workshop got the idea for word bearers. I'm not stupid. You know, anybody, If I mean, all you have to do, you got to read the book of john just 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 read the first few verses you're not going to catch on fire if you're if you don't like christianity or whatever just read the first few verses that that is where they get the word bearers and if you go to any and since this was made in england therefore they're anglican mostly episcopalian so therefore and actually in the episcopalian and the anglican services they do talk about the word of the lord thanks be to god it's very obvious where this is from. So the fact that the word bearers would be aligned with the ecclesiarchy doesn't surprise me at all. I was kind of already raising an eyebrow. Considering that they wrote their Bible. Well, that's what I was about to say. Considering, like, I raised my eyebrow when they talked about, you know, before the Lutitio Divinatus. I'm like, oh, wait, 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 wait. How do you know about that? You're not supposed to know those things. So just little, little things. Yes, but yes, you're right. Because he did. The word bearers did write the Bible. And the word bearers have always been about religion, right? Very much so. They've just kind of changed swords. Um, but I found, like, the irony there was delightfully on point, right? That the ecclesiarchy would be like, no, 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 no. <laughs> These guys are kosher. Um, even though they clearly find, were not. Helping us find words. Like, Even though they clearly were not kosher. 
could this be any more on the nose of the word bearers or trying to go through the unwords to find the word, the name of the emperor that they have forgotten? It's so funny, is that because you said that was a theory about the word bearers, and then here Dan Abnett is no, that's not a theory. That's that that's fact. That's fact, man. It's it's a thing. Um. So, and I think I've said this before, but my degree is in linguistics because I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. Why I work in software development. Um. I love the whole concept of the cognate. I love the whole concept of the unwords. I love everything about this so i was really happy to see them and yes this idea that they're like we are trying to find this word because can you imagine and i do i've always liked that concept and that's a concept that's been in all sorts of stories and mythology since the beginning of time that about names the importance there is power names. in names and it's actually in a lot of um like you know when to go like before the saxons and a lot of the English, the old, 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 old English, the Vikings, um, the Welsh, it's a huge wealth mytho- Welsh mythology about the Horned King. How did how did Prince Gwydion defeat the Horned King? He yelled his name. Yep. So, yep. I mean, there's a lot of that in there. So, and that tickles my fancies because I love ancient mm-hmm. literature and I love ancient history. So right. that's, that's one reason why actually, like, the word bearers, like really the idea behind mm-hmm. the word bearers has always been my jam. Right. Oh, no. Totally agree. And um, along those lines, I... So The King in Yellow is one of those short story collections that I absolutely love. I always have, ever since it was introduced to me, I, like, forever ago, I love it. And I love that the concept just clings on... Uh, the first season and the first season of True Detective when they were like, oh, the king in yellow. Um, and then the fact that it keeps coming up in Mnet. It's just mm-hmm. one of those like little literary things where I'm like picking up what you're really laying well, down. I mean, if you really aren't getting it, then they say the king's name is Orpheus. Like, okay, yes, we're with you now. It, <laughs> love it. Like everything about it. I'm just like... Like, just directly into my veins. Um, so, on one hand, I, I really liked, the, I found that the Emperor's, ch- and I think it's just because I hate the word bearers in general so much, like, for so many reasons about them. And again, it's I love to hate the word bearers. You know, um, I was actually, when I was first getting into all this Warhammer stuff, and I was l- finally learning the legions, because everything gets very confusing when you're first starting out. Oh, my God, yes. And because um, I was like, why are the Emperor's children the bad guys? Does it make any sense? They're his children. You know, just those kinds of things. With me, you know, being the Christian and deep mythology and historian that I am, it killed me inside to learn that the word bearers were the traitor marines sorry a little bit of an awkwardness there um but i really did they got books like how is that bad oh well ask magnus how bad books are anyway well girl seriously (laughs) you're like i like the brainy bad one (laughs) it's like brainy (laughs) smurf he was my jam no he really (laughs) Sorry. Brainy Smurf was no one's dream. I, I know. Like I know. I can hear his voice as you say that. Um so but like were you surprised at all that the cognate are still alive? Like and I mean like outside of no. obviously Dan on that is not gonna get rid of his favorite bad guys. But 
I was I was actually a little surprised that they were still moving. No, 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 no. Because at the end of the Magos, you know, when um, Eisenhorn has his vision and he sees Beckwin, the dead Beckwin, and she's like, you need to go here and help me. But it's not me type thing. And then when he was having his moment of insanity of wanting to like, because he was going to try to break into the hidden city and undo the world. He realized that's where Beckwin is. And and he so I was like, OK, so he's going after the king in yellow. Like I knew that's what that's what this was, what this is going to be. So, no, I was totally mm-hmm. expecting the cognitate. Now, did I expect clone Beckwin like under the Inquisition to actually, you know, to actually be a cognitate facility? No, because honestly, when that guy attacked them and her mentor, her swords, her sword master mentor told her, you know, don't believe anybody with, with the rosette. You know, that seems legit because we have seen the, you know, those fake inquisitors many times before. I well, so as soon as that and this is I do remember this the first time I read the book and obviously this time, too, when he's like cognitate, I was like, oh, oh, yeah. So these guys are all cognitate. And then sure enough, reading it a second time, I was like, oh, yeah, you guys are all cognitate. The thing that surprised me about it was that they had such good organization. This isn't a group of like 10. This is not the Westboro Baptist Church where it's just like 10 assholes with like good publicity skills. if If it was, Eisenhorn would have gotten them by now. Exactly. Like this is not only are they well funded, they're well organized. And when he explained where he's like, they're basically like a counter inquisition the idea that they have bred in to their recruits too, like Beckwin honestly believed that she was training to become an inquisitor or an interrogator. Like she honestly believed that no, no, we're on the up and up. The fact that like they're going to that level mm-hmm. of deception, that was impressive. I did not expect I didn't I guess I never expect the cognitive to be that well organized and that big, but when you put it into the context of, hey, they're looking for basically the single most powerful word in the universe. Yeah, okay. Totally. No, I, I, just, I just didn't expect yeah. the cognitate. I mean, obviously, we know that they're heretics. And so they're going to be mm-hmm. aligning with some force. So, okay, the word bearers. But the ecclesiarchy as well is like, well, why not? Because, you know, the church is always corrupt. Although, except for... That poor uh, Pontifex. He was like, out oh, of his man. Mind. He uh, he was with it. He was with he it. He was with it. I mean, that's one thing when I like before we started podcasting, I was like looking through my mm-hmm. notes and um, I had said to you, I was like, oh, hey, I'm so glad I marked this note because I wanted to mm-hmm. go back and read it. And it's the paragraph because I had marked where he where the Pontifex. So she asked him, who am I supposed to tell who? And he yells thorn. I know exactly who that was. Yep. And uh, of course, if you've read Eisenhorn, I mean, not Eisenhorn, but if you've read the Magos and Raveter, you know exactly who, who Thorne is. Mm-hmm. So now that I finished reading it, I immediately went back and read what he wanted her to tell him. It's like, oh, my God, this guy was so with it. He knew exactly, which also just so kind of makes me wonder. It's like, OK, so. Yes, Eisenhorn has had issues in the past, but maybe this is like his redemption arc. And then, you know, mm-hmm. then, then the end happens. And I don't know what to think. I, yes, <laughs> yes to all of this. But I felt really bad for him because I think we see this quite a bit too, that 
he clearly had some sort of psyker abilities, right? But no way to really harness it and no way to really understand it. So on one hand, is he like with it with it? No, probably not. But he's 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 seeing things and he's right. actually getting real information. And that has to be so enormously frustrating. Right. When he kind of he kind of reminded me of like a stroke victim. And I mean a stroke victim not Yes. Is like yes, they're kind of drooling on themselves and they can't do anything. And they don't sound smart, but inside they're screaming like all this wisdom and things that they want to say, but their bodies can't say. Yeah. So I think it was, it kind of reminded me of that as well as, I think he was also playing a role slightly, you know, come off as doing this babble yes. because then people think that you're harmless, right? Be a little bit of that too. Yes. So, like, the last quarter of the book, I think I would describe as just being a ton of exposition. Because you have Glaw explaining a whole bunch of stuff. You have Teak explaining a bunch of stuff. You have Ravener, obviously. Eisenhorn, obviously. What's your take on that? Good? Bad? Indifferent? Well, World I building? Mean, I mean, I kind of liked it. That's when it picked up at the same time. I was like, did someone go up to Dab Nab Net and be like, wrap it up? The wrap it up signal here because it was just like bam 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 it was just so much kind of back to back I'm like on the one hand like i'm glad you didn't drag drag this out but on the other hand it felt to me like how i would get whenever i was like writing my fiction and i would just get so tired of writing about this so i'd just be like and this all just magically came together in the end because that's kind of what it felt like to me i think that's a part of it i also think it's part of like I think at some point somebody told him he had to wrap it up but also he was like but there is all this stuff that people need to know and understand for what I'm doing because this is going to be a trilogy and this is clearly going to be the big bad right not only that but it answered every single damn question we had after the end of the Magos and for Ravener itself Yes, I think he did have a lot of loose ends to clip up. Just again, to be like, look, this is where we're starting. This is how this is going to go. Bear with me. (laughs) You need to understand all of this. And a couple times I kind of pulled back because I was like, oh my gosh, the exposition fairies are heavy here today. But then on the other hand, it's like, this is all interesting. Mm -hmm. And I can see why this is all going to be important information. Right. It wasn't like a deus ex machina came in and wrapped it up and saved the day no nor did somebody just come and be like so let me explain to you like it wasn't like the chorus stepping out to be like and here's what has happened here today um (laughs) it did feel at least a little bit natural because we do have beckwin who is now a fish out of water she goes from being like i understand the city backward and forward to suddenly being like i don't know shit about shit like you know nothing i mean literally her whole life is a lie everything she knew everybody she knew was a lie yeah not to put too fine a point on it but yeah your life is a lie and so that it made sense it made sense that everyone's like come child let me tell you a story (laughs) so oh god let's talk about the two 500 pound gorillas in the room how do you feel about Eisenhorn's current state? Um, well, I don't have the hatred of Eisenhorn the way that you do. And I'm actually really happy to see that the old man is still kind of a badass. 
I mean, the way he went after that word bearer, that's pretty awesome. Um, when she was like, how is he able to do this? I was like, because it's Eisenhorn. Right. That's <laughs> <laughs> all you need to know. Um, and honestly, like, when she's in the one of the pews and she turns around because she feels someone watching her and she talks about the man in black and she talks about the green with the gold brocade. You know exactly who that was. Well, you should. If you've been reading the other books, you should know exactly who, who that was. And just like the look he gave her, like a look of recognition, but yet not. And um, man, when she said, she said she couldn't read his face. She's like, your face doesn't move. He's like, that's the thing. I did like that. <laughs> like, I did like where there was a, that was an interesting part where she's just kind of asking him questions and he's like, yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> you know that he's like probably the most patient that Eisenhorn's ever been. Because I and, think it's because it's Beckwin. It's Beckwin and, and Betancourt, who I have always loved Medea. She is amazing and she is a badass. He knows that she's basically been raising her like as a daughter. So he's going to defer to her in all things and be extremely mm-hmm. patient because this is now like literally a member of his family in so many, so many ways. Right. Yes, it, it is. And I think it would be super hard. Like, I mean, this this woman was like the love of his life pretty much. Right. And you lost her in a tor- horrible way because of your own hubris. Mm hmm. Then you literally lost her. Um, And now this person who is but isn't her is back. And that has to be so just soul crushing. Right. Even I felt a little bad for him then. And I I was telling you before we got onto the podcast when he's talking. Right. And she's like, well, why does this thorn guy like, why aren't you guys working together? Well, because I have a focus on the bigger picture. Ravener can't see the forest for the trees. He just wants to do all these stupid little things like the Inquisition does. Because remember that Eisenhorn has always been the smartest man in the room. Well, so is Ravener. Okay, to be fair. But the thought that, like, I I was a little crushed for him when he is just like, oh, he can't see the forest for the trees. And I'm like, oh, son. You don't even know. You don't even know what he's here for. Like it, it. I actually did feel a little bad for him that I'm like, you are so far gone. But the same so time, speaking of Medea. So at the same time, oh, though, when Ravener talks about him, he doesn't know either. They both make these huge assumptions about one another. They do. They but do. Anyway, Medea. So how did you feel in general about his kill team? Were you surprised? Well, were you surprised by the people who were there? Well, no, because we saw them Other all. Other than Alfarius. Okay, well, that's a surprise, yes. But you know, we saw them all in in the Magos, so it didn't mm-hmm. it didn't really surprise me to see um, to see, see Medea and Nail because you know they were all with them before, so that mm-hmm. so that made sense. No, I would not have picked out Alfarius, and I would dare say nobody else would have either. No, but. Good God, like, you have an Alpha Legion, Legionnaire, you don't have the whole Legion, just Legionnaire. Uh, (laughs) I have an Alpha, like, it's like, I have a Hulk, like, I have an Alpha Legion. Um, You have an Alpha Legionnaire and a demon. 
Can you think of two less trustworthy, more duplicitous people? Okay, first of all, you can trust the Alpha Legion. Especially trust Alpharius. Secondly, uh, can you though? I was surprised about seeing about Turubale being there because I remember in the Magos he talked about how he couldn't control him anymore. So we just kind of had him put away. So kind of just walked off into the sunset with him though, and they're like, "Oh, we're just going to be great friends." The idea that he can't control him, but he still has him. Right. And look, you can't trust a demon. Well, like, I, I understand. I think he still this... has him because he can't just let him go either to let somebody else. And I think Cherubale can't let him go. Right. Well, because Cherubale even said, like, in the first Eisenhorn book, he's like, I have wanted you when I first saw you. So there's just this, you know, this thing that they can't, even though Eisenhorn doesn't want him, he just can't let him go either. And Cherubale, he doesn't want to be how he is with Eisenhorn, but he doesn't want to go either. Right. So it's kind of an interesting little little dichotomy between them. So was I so not only was I surprised to see Cherubale be there, but also out and about. Off the leash? Yeah. Yeah. I and this all goes back to and it's not just because justice for Godwin. Nobody cares about fishing but you. Yeah. It's true. Our our viewers and listeners are going to watch us break up on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry, you can't handle the truth. Nah. So pissed off. Um, but, like, this demon, I think, is interested in Eisenhorn. He finds him amusing. He finds all he's of this very thing. amusing. He is a plaything. So the fact that he's allowed to just kind of do these things, and I wonder how much, and I think we'll see this probably in this in the new book coming up, does Eisenhorn really think this guy's his friend? Does Eisenhorn really think he has him, uh, any type of control over him? Because it's a demon, okay? Like, it's going to help you as long as it's funny, and then when it stops being funny, right. you're going to be gone. It's going to help you as long as it feels like helping you. And I feel like that probably extends to the, an Alpha Legionnaire, too. Like... Okay, I'm, I'm intrigued by you. I'm interested in what you're doing. This helps me keep an eye on the Inquisition. And that is one thing. Like, I know that Eisenhorn is an Abnet stand-in, but and I'm going to use D&E-D terminology here to say player knowledge, not character knowledge. Okay. Like, the whole, the whole Alpharius thing is author knowledge, not character knowledge. Mm-hmm. Like, I just, I, there's, there's really no way... For Eisenhorn to know any of that kind of stuff. I mean, sure, this guy could have told him, but you know, okay, <laughs> I'm gonna believe something exactly. a traitor legion. Yeah. Oh, okay. So you're right. like one of the traitor legions, which you know, as far as they know, like they're they're all demons, isn't that right? Like they believe like it's yeah. the nine devils, so they're all like these mm-hmm. demons. They're not really. They were never real adepts of right. Sardis. They were never humans, like the loyalist nine were. Mm-hmm. So. Right. So you're absolutely right. There is no way that even if he told him, by the way, I'm part of when Legion's like, we pretended to be traitor, but we're not. And we do the and we act traitor when it benefits our cause. There's no way. Mm-hmm. There's no way. I mean, say, I mean, let's say what you want about Eisenhorn and being a heretic or, or, or whatever. But there's no way he would willingly go along with a traitor Marine 
know knowing who he is because even though I, I just don't know because you know that the alpha legion are branded one of the nine devils well yes you but know that saying. demons are bad he wouldn't if he he wouldn't believe the guy in the first place and if he did he would never willingly align with it i mean he'll only go so far there's the whole thing like that even beckwin even talked about oh man i made a note of this where she talked about how that you know she everything she learned was so different come on kendall wake up uh, let's see As it is the purpose of the Holy Inquisition to protect mankind from the influence of the warp, but I see now that sometimes it takes great risks to do so, and sometimes we must know the arch enemy. So that's where I kind of see Eisenhorn, what he's done with Terubail. I think, you know, again, it's like the whole idea of like the road to hell is paved with good intentions. I think Eisenhorn mm-hmm. had very good intentions with Ter- Terubail, and they just kind of went, went out of hand. We have the same time Turbale is kind of thrust upon him. I, I really believe, especially after reading the Keeler image, that Eisenhorn is not doing things to purposefully be a heretic. He is doing things because he, and he believes what he's doing is loyal. Right. Which is why I say Again. he wouldn't purposefully align himself with a known traitor legion. Yeah, maybe. But do you remember that story in the Magos about the guard unit that was still killing people around the city because they didn't realize that that's what they were doing and that they were still fighting the good fight, mm-hmm. even though what they were doing was horrible and awful, but in their minds, I think it, it, which was all a parallel for Eisenhorn, right? Oh yeah, 100%. That he's wreaking havoc and doing all of these dangerous awful things but and i think maybe with the inquisition more than anybody else it's the harvey dent thing right you either die the hero or live long enough to see yourself become this corrupted villain because that's just kind of the nature of the inquisition right or you know if you're on the internet this is kind of how your life's gonna go <laughs> pretty much that's what happened to him he got access to the internet Seems um, legit seems legit next time next up one of his kill team members will be twitter just like the entity of it mm-hmm. well to be fair that could be cherubel um i was was glad to see nail is still with him um really funny story so when we first started reading this so in my mind because i know that nail is based off of stone cold steve austin i always pictured like 90s like john is 316 that or whatever or is that just what you assume no, that's a fact. Okay, that's interesting. There was an interview somewhere, and I can't remember where, but he said that he based Nail off of Stone Cold Steve Austin. And Stone Cold Steve Austin is actually aging surprisingly well for uh, a wrestler. Yeah. yeah, he's still fine as hell. Mm-hmm. He was in the 90s too. Um, and I just saw something with him recently because I watched an interview with The Undertaker, and I was super into wrestling in the late 90s, early aughts. Anyways, um, so it, it's kind of fun to me because like I could pick, now that, now that Stone Cold Steve Austin's getting older, you can kind of picture what Nail looks like. Because even though he's rejuvenating, he is getting a little old. Like, he's still kind of aged slowly, right? So, I don't know why that just made me smile. And I always have liked Nail. He's oh, just a neat character. He's just character. a good person. <laughs> you know? He, 
He kind of, I mean, yeah, I, I struggle with that one because he's definitely working. He knows that there's a demon on their ship, right? Um, but he's so devoted to Eisenhorn that I loved that concept. I loved seeing him. And yes, Medea, who doesn't love Medea? Like she shows just, up and you're like. I also just love the fact that, you know, that uh, uh, Lightburn uh, shot him and just made Nail mad. <laughs> It's like Mongo. Oh, don't do that. Right? I'll just make him angry. <laughs> yeah. Well, and Nail. Yeah. When he kind of sees him, and he's just like, <laughs> you. <laughs> and when he does throw her under the bus, and he's like, yeah, they left me to die. My first thought was, but did you die? No, because you're Harlan Nail. Right. Um. Okay. So how did you feel about Ravner's current status? I, I, what the hell? I don't understand how he's there after the sentence the Inquisition put on him. Not only him. Okay, if you want to say that, all right, they let him out because he's going to go after Risenhorn. Okay. I was going to say they explained it. Okay, fine, fine. I don't believe that for a minute, for starters. Secondly, the fuck is Kara Swole doing? Okay, I had the same thought. Because, but here's something that's going to be interesting to see, right? Like... Is this going to be one of those things where she got put basically into something similar to what Uriel and Basanius went by when they come back from Medrangard and the Great Knights are basically like, we're going to check for taint. Like, did she basically get, and I'm sure it wasn't as friendly as the Great Knights were to the Ultramarines, to be clear. But did she get You think that this... was friendly? That was the point. Like, I think this is probably <laughs> okay. like a step down from that even because <laughs> it's the Inquisition. I like did they she was put her on to the fire the execution cell block so here's the thing though that I can think of is that they approach Ravener and are like we need you to get Eisenhorn and he's like look I need people who know Eisenhorn and that ultimately I can trust did Kara Swole do something terrible absolutely and it kind of was within the Imperium's idiom right because it's like she's already on the execution list we're going to go after Eisenhorn. The chances of her surviving this are like... Okay, okay, but... I don't know how she wasn't already dead. That, that um, That's kind of my point. Because... I don't... I hope there's an explanation for it. Because and I hope it's not just Abnet forgot. Because, I'm going to believe that's what it is. Because in the Magos, there's that short story where Eisenhorn goes to that uh, trial mm -hmm. to see... Ravener, and this is many, many years after his sentence has been carried out that he's been basically, this is what he does. He's a paper pusher, mm -hmm. which is kind of hard since he's in a box, but, but whatever. Mm -hmm. So let Patience me Patience pushes them for him. So let me tell you why I don't believe that he's really here on behalf of the Inquisition to do something to him because he's had ample opportunity to nab him. Ample. Case yes. In point, that trial, he totally could have raised the alarm. Totally could. But he could have. But you remember when he says, and he's talking about hunting the king in yellow, and she's like, "Do you think he's the king in yellow?" And he's like, "He very well could be. Like, it could be one of those things that, like, over the time, over years, they presented evidence to him, and he's like, this goes beyond even what I thought Eisenhorn capable of.'" Okay, Eisenhorn is not the king in yellow. That's that's totally. 
That's totally agree. That's the Order Hereticus doing what the Order Hereticus does best, and that's manipulate people and lie to them to get their way. Um, yes. So it's entirely possible that Ravner's been sent here on false pretenses, right? Like, hey, he we would, think he's the he king would, in yellow. He would have to be. He, he would have to be to, to be here doing this. Um, because... Because I think that Beta puts it, Beckman puts it very well. She's like, why don't you guys just talk? He's like, oh, no, we're beyond talking. You're not even trying to talk. Like, you guys were so, so close. And they wouldn't even care. was just like, she's like, oh, no, he's gone so far. I was like, okay, bitch, you are not one to talk right now. You also got. Well, though, I mean, come on. You also got swayed by a demon, if I remember correctly. But. Did she turn one of her best friends into a demon host and then continue to work with the demon? She did continue to work with the demon. A little bit. And then she at the end, the she even says, right, she did keep his secret. And mm -hmm. I can't, I can't deny that. And I'm, I actually am taking a slightly softer approach to Kara in this because I did like the idea when she's basically like, when she's talking to Beta and she's like, this is this is a thing like he is just so far gone and if you believe that maybe he's roundabout working with the cognate like he's into some super heretical stuff now at this point um and you also don't you don't know what she knows ravener she could be going off of just assumptions ravener could have fed her the same stuff that he knows mm -hmm. like you got no idea and the fact that it also could just be one of those things that when ravener is like okay I'm going to go kill Eisenhorn that she's like, whoa, it must be serious. Right? Like, it, that could be a thing. Patience, much like Harlan, will stay with Eisenhorn until the bitter end. Ravener. Harlan Patient. Nail? No, he's with Eisenhorn. Well, but Patience will stay with Ravener to the bitter end. That's what I'm saying. It's just right. like Harlan is going to stay with Eisenhorn until the bitter end. Patience will stay with Ravener until the very end. She just, and it, you understand, right? Because she has this strong affinity and attachment to him. And there was one scene early in the book that I really did not like when they talked about her, like coming out of the drown, the gown, the nun habitat. And they were like, lasciviously, that's not patience kiss. She's not like that. Oh, well, Carrie's still curvaceous. I don't know if you pick that up. Um, Yeah. I, as soon as Kara was introduced, I was like, let's start counting curvy and curvaceous. Well, before they even said her name, and you said that this ac this acrobatic woman, it was very curvaceous. I'm like, because that's the only phrase we got for Kara Swole. Well, it's arguably, ugh, I hate to say this because it does kind of kill me to say it, but arguably, it's the only character development she has. Like, tell me anything else about her character other than she's an acrobat. Hmm. And she's curvy. I really do challenge you to describe this character. Well, she fell in love with this one guy. Yeah. Not much of a personality quirk still. Like, we know more about patience as a character. Okay, th that is true. But at the same time, that's the fault of the author, not the character. Very much so. But, and I hate to say that, but it is it is really a thing that I hope that Kara gets a little bit more development. I don't know why, but for some reason it really kind of hit me in the feels to see her back with Ravener. And 
I don't get the impression they have a warm relationship. I don't get the impression that anybody on Team Ravener is having a good time right now. Let's be real. Right. Um, and I'm, I am very pissed at Ravener for how they treated Lightburn. I know that's exactly in the Inquisition's idiom, but when he's calling for Beckwin, it's like, you're killing me, Smalls. You're killing me. The I mean, they could have just given him the old yeller treatment. Either way, you're killing me, Smalls. The only thing I can hope is that maybe on the way out, uh, Turbale stops it. Because Eisenhorn was pretty much fine having Lightburn around. Because he does not deserve that. Possibly. But we also don't know. It's entirely possible that they could have done something with him. But, I mean, I think that Ravener has officially become an Inquisitor's Inquisitor. Like, no more of this fast and loose. I've gotten burned in the past. <laughs> burned. Anyways. Um, he's he's done with that. We and, are now and, by the book. And I have no yeah. use for that. Yeah. Wipe this guy's mind. Oddly, and again, I understand this is weird coming from me. I was like, fuck yeah, Ravener. Like, weird. You say, again. That's, you say that's odd, but it's not. Because when it comes to the rules of the Imperium, you are so very black and white. And I am very, I very, am. I am very, very gray. So, which is why, like, I kind of, like, I understand Eisenhorn a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And it's really funny because, uh, gosh, because um, one of the guys I work for is Silicon Era. And we were actually talking about all of our personality types. You know, where do we fall in the D&D? &D? And Jenny and Annette, who've known me for very many, many years, they both, they all said, you're chaotic good. Because you're always standing up and screaming about morals, and that's why you always get in trouble. And I was like, I was like, what? no, I'm lawful good. And then they're, so I was like, but no, that's that's true. And so that's where I get in the grace. That's where I go with Eisenhorn, which is like again, they rode to paved hells with good intentions. Maybe that's where I'm going to end up one day because I keep wanting, you know, to push my morals and what I think is right out there. And. That's why when I see Ravener just being like, no, we are by the book. We are lawfully good. Like, nope, fuck you. I got no room for that. I'm so sick of the Inquisition he being is, like. The Inquisition is not lawful good. They are well, I mean, best in his, lawful neutral. In his eyes. I, I would actually think that Ravener would tell you he's lawful neutral. Lawful neutral. Like, I just, I just apply the law. There's no good mm. here. There's no bad here. I just follow right. the law. So, like, he's very much like, so one of my favorite characters from comics was Judge Dredd. And, like, if you have not yet seen Dredd starring Carl Urban, do yourself a favor and watch this. It's actually kind of a Warhammer 40k movie, too. Um he is so good in that role. But Judge Dredd was always a lawful neutral character. And I really do think of that. And I really like that. I gravitate towards that. And you are you are correct. Because, like, when I start listing off my favorite legions, um, I like all the traitor guys. I, I, feel like I, I feel like I'm always like, look, my favorite guys are the traitor guys. So I know chaos. Like, I know bad when I see it. Um. I do tend to be very black and white and very by the book. And like, it's one reason that I really like uh, Tanau and Valerian. Those two are not going to be working with a demon anytime soon because, well, it's for the greater good. Yeah. That's because like, they're I not with can't. the Inquisition. I mean, that's true too. I think, let's be real. To be honest, I think Eisenhorn 
embodies the Inquisition so perfectly. I can't even argue with that. You're not wrong. He really is. And there, there is a bit of an irony in there, mm-hmm. right? That like, they hate this guy. And yet they're all doomed to go that exact same path. Every single one of them. I think the only one who won't is uh, John French's character. <sighs> oh. Hi, do Harushi Moore's guy. Oh, yeah. his name. He's got Covenant. 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 I don't know about that. After that huge bomb drop reveal about his origin. I don't know. Can well, be wrong, though. You know, we gotta wait around till Mr. French writes the third book. Please do the thing. Um, But, yes. And I do... Oh, man. And I actually liked Covenant for that reason. I liked the idea that he was very unyielding and very, nope, this is by the book. Um, I say that it's ironic for me because I have made no bones about how much I disliked the Ravener trilogy. So the fact that I ended this book being like, thank God for Ravener. That was a little weird for me. And I actually had a moment when I, when I like, I was about to say close the book, but like when I, you know, on my tablet. When I closed it, I was like, oh, I don't know how to feel these feels. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely pro Ravener. And so Beckwin is now being used by both sides. Not only did you wake up to God. learn that, by the way, you're not who you thought you were. I feel so bad for her. And when, oh my God, when Turbale shows up, and it's just like, you know, she's like, what am I going to do? And he's like, you should come with me. And I'm just like, another random guy in the shadows offering to help. Like, how many more are we, are we going to see with this? And she's like, who are you? He's like, I'm the only friend you have. Again, how many more times are we going to hear this? And, right. you know, just, you know, offers her hand to help. And I think the only reason why she goes is because, you know, at least Eisenhorn wasn't so mean to Lightburn right in front of her. And there's that thing with, uh, you know, Medea, you know, she still sees her as sister Bismillah. So she's going to kind of trust that side, I think, a little bit more. But man, like, I hated that that's how that went down. Because I was sick of it. But at the same time, it closed the circle so perfectly. So perfectly. Again, this woman doesn't know which way's up or down at this point. No, it's like everywhere she goes, like even she's being sold to the ecclesiarchy and Hody is like, well, I'm your only friend you got here. And obviously. Sure, Jan. Yeah. Yeah. But obviously he was not, uh, <laughs> to say the least. Actually, say and, the least. and I texted this to you earlier today really stood out to me and made me laugh so hard is when they have her down in the basement and they're like testing her to see if she's like really a black soul they're having her read all these words and then they give her like some of the unwords and she says them and then this you know demons puts forth and and they're all so shocked it's like what did you guys think was going to happen well that's the thing too right like so much of this universe is children playing with fire yeah. Like like uh Glaw. You know, that's not her real name. Or that is her real name, but you know I'm talking about like she's yeah. playing. <laughs> playing with fire. Playing with fire. The Ecclesiarchy I, you know, is playing. Uh yeah. 
the, I keep uh, going back to that again. I, it all comes back to Dragon Age for me. But you remember when you're talking with um, when you're talking with uh, Vivian, and she says she's like magic is dangerous. People who forget that get burned, and all of this warp traitor crap is dangerous. And when right. you forget that or distrust it, you get burned. That's like one of my favorite lines out of, uh, I think it was Talon of Horus when Iskander Kane is talking about the warp. And, and he was like, you know, you can use it, but it's when you master it or when you think you can master it is when it takes over, is when it ruins you. But I, I'm really butchering the wonderful lines that ADB had. But and I've kind of loved yes. even seeing in Fervari's book, last book that we read, when they talked about, you know, like, oh, but it's going to be fine once we master it. And it's like, yes, yes. Nope. Because you can, <laughs> yeah, because it's, it goes all the way back to that hubris that, you know, Magnus had, Magnus mm -hmm. and his, his, uh, sons had they're like well we can master this we can control this like they're familiars they thought they totally had that under control that was under their control right no not so much and then they got the look at me i am the captain now speech <laughs> yes. i mean it's it, it is it's just this continued <laughs> yeah i mean that's so true <laughs> yeah you were never we just uh, in control. we just uh, minimized um Graham McNeil's great book there was saying, look at me, I'm the captain now. <laughs> Pretty much what Zinch and all of his little boys yeah. said, right? Like, you had no idea. Again, you were children playing with fire. You have no idea. And there is a big part of that. And I feel so bad. I, I felt bad for some of the characters, some of the other characters. I was like, oh, you dumbasses. Mm -hmm. But especially poor Beckwin. I mean, again, like she's been through all of this stuff. You summoned a demon by saying words. You met word bearers. You've met an Alpha Legion guy who you thought was a war blind, but it really wasn't. Oh, by the way, that's after you got chased by Teak, who don't know what that was, but that wasn't good. <laughs> um, all of this, like, well, at that point, and can I just talk about, like, one of the things that I hated because it triggered, like, one of my things that I just hate in horror movies and stuff, the marionettes. Like, you've, <laughs> you've had murderettes okay. after you. You know what? So... <laughs> And she talked about, I think I highlighted this passage too, about Lucrea. How she's like, uh -oh. she's like going insane over these puppets and like kicking them and throwing them into the fire. And she's like, she can't believe after everything she's seen, she's seen today, that it's the puppets, the dolls that make her go insane. And I was like, no, I am with this bitch. <laughs> like, I, I get it. No, I totally, totally. I was like, yeah, I was, but have you seen them? I was, I creep, I was creeped out when they were first were brought in. Oh, for sure. And this is killing me. I can't think of what the name of this movie is. There is a movie from the 80s. It's a horror movie. It might even be late 70s. Anyways, it was a horror movie and it had... Um... Oh my god, I totally blinked everything. You're but not it had about Chucky, are you? No, 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 no. Okay. no. It had a marionette. Okay. And it was the murder marionette. And of course, it was the one where it starts to come to life. And I almost want to say it was Sam Neill who was in it. He was literally just talking about this with a coworker the other day. Um, but, like, that movie I saw when I was way too young, and it scared the hell out of me. Okay, well, marionettes are creepy to begin with. Okay, they're creepy to begin with. Yes, I'm 
actually pulling up my chat so I can see if it's like in our recent and I can say because oh my god this movie it's not a good movie like to be clear uh, oh it's with, oh god it's actually Anthony Hopkins it's called Magic um, and Anthony Hopkins he's like somewhat young he has this mm -hmm. marionette who starts to it's really a creepy movie I don't like marionettes well there was that one so that scene also of the 90s Teen Titans the toy maker oh, turns them all into yes. puppets yes that was not cool no that was not cool either Oh my god. No, not good. I think that I want to say the movies from like the late 70s. Doesn't matter. It's so creepy. And so that's what I was picturing with this. And he doesn't really explain how or what they are. Because like she turns her cuff to dead at one point. So on or so off. And they still are coming. Right. So, so like, it's like so it's not Psyker? Yeah. I, don't, I decided that I didn't want to know. It doesn't, again, it's one of those things that to me just doesn't make any sense because even if you're going to say, oh, it's like demon controlled, well, she still affects demons. That's yeah. why the Sisters of Silence would, you know, work so well and yet not so well with the Grey Knights with what they do. Well, because remember, they talk about the blood letters, right? When mm -hmm. she see when Alea sees them, she's like, it's just a big red monster. Mm -hmm. Like, she doesn't get the psychic, the terror effects and stuff. She's just like, whatever. Right. Like, you know? So, yeah, exactly. Because I was like, ooh, it's a de mm, that doesn't work. Again, figure out how the cuff works. But I still just feel so, like, uh, she's been through all of that. All of this. And then these two powerful men who knew you, or rather knew the other version of you. The original. Clearly, clearly have some affinity for you. Because that's the only time when Kara softens, right? Is when she's like... Yeah, like we knew, we knew back when. It was so sad. Now you got to help us take the other one down. Good luck. Who like. also knew you, and by the way, his rogue trader raised you for the last 20 years. So it makes sense that she's ultimately going to side with Eisenhorn. I think, at least temporarily. But my prediction is she's turns against them both i think so i think i think it's gonna be a case of her being like you guys are both assholes and idiots mm -hmm. and you need to talk and i'm leaving screw you guys i'm going home exactly um yeah you know it's, it's, it's the so scenario of Penta. like you know you got you know the the love triangle where they're trying to make like mm -hmm. the girl or the boy in the middle choose and he and whoever's right. in the middle is like you know what no I'm done. I choose me and not you. So I'm moving on. Yeah. I am definitely excited for Penitent, though. I At first, when they said they were doing it, I was kind of like, oh. But now that I've read the book and I really enjoyed it, mm -hmm. like now that I've read it again, I'm like, oh, so excited for this. Yeah. I'm so glad, not, I didn't, yeah. so glad I didn't read it nine years ago because, again, the way that it ended, I'd be really pissed at Dan Abnett about now. Right? I have to say that because it, because it's been so long, I was just kind of like, eh, I didn't enjoy it. I wrote it in the back of my mind. And now that I've read it again, like, yeah. I think if you read it, like, even more than, like, two or three years ago, I think you owe it to yourself to go back and reread it. At least skim it or gloss skim over it. Yeah, it just just to, and, yeah. yeah. Or even, like, when I go to wiki fandom, I guess, and just look at those. Um, There's so, that, too. But so there are some things that 
yeah, there are some things that I feel like are still kind of important to, there's some scenes and stuff that I'm like, that's going to need to be explained. Well, yes. I'm penitent. Mm -hmm. Now, unfortunately, our next book we're reading digitally because our physical copies have not yet come in. Uh, we Mine are reading. hasn't even shipped yet. Mine said that it shipped, but I hope it's going to be there. I think it's supposed to arrive tomorrow so I can go pick it up on Saturday. Uh, but it is the next Dawn of Fire book, The Gate of Bones by Andy Clark, which I'm really excited for. Yes, especially since I've already heard that it's funny because what's Andy Clark, it better be funny. And just that uh, it's not as dry as Avenging Sun. Avenging Sun was dry. Yeah. So I'm, I'm excited for this one. Um, from the cover, it has the Adeptus Custodes and the sisters on it. And the Adeptus Sororitas, like we've already kind of seen Andy Clark do that with Celestine. Mm -hmm. So fully on board. It looks like maybe totally. a, it looks like a baby. Also, because I'm looking over at the cover here. Looks like an imperial fist, and no, that's another sister. I was like, maybe a great knight, but no, that's another sister. I remember seeing an imperial fist on the cover. Yeah, he's kind of like in the background. He's not gold enough to be a custodes. In the background, because yeah. yeah, there's the custodes up front. Uh huh. But you see the sister and that there's looks imperial. Like oh, you're totally right. I yeah. see. Yeah, yeah, I see him down there. I'm excited. I, I think this is going to be a lot of fun. Um, this was a really good book and I really liked it. But I'm ready to get back to real specimarines. Not the fake ones that we saw in the Reverie. I don't want more fake space marines. Well, we got also, to see some traitors in this one, so. That's true. And also, I, I, I know that you love your Euro trash space vampires. But I just, I need no chalices or blood. Or quite frankly, no more warp bullshit. Okay, uh, the angels resplendent, like... No, just... No, that they're not even in the same realm as the blood angels. I, I, I can't, I know that they're... Well, no, but right before that, we read Darkness and the Blood. Okay, that was a good book. I'm sorry, you don't like good, you don't like good things. So... I, mean... I just... Yeah, I need no more warp bullshit. I just need... I just want people fighting in the name of the Emperor... So you think there's not going to be any warp bullshit? No, let's be real. It, it's the it's the dawn of the Indominus Crusade. There's going to be some warp stuff. But do you want to take us out, Carrie? <laughs> before you explode at me? <laughs> no, before I go on yet another TED Talk. No, no more TED Talks. I've already had like three today. So, so you've listened to the Warhammer 40k book club episode regarding Pariah by Dan Abnett. Be sure to join us for our next book. Gate of Bones by Andy Clark. I don't have a copy. It's so sad. It's, we, it's lovely. Yeah. We are an unofficial book club and not affiliated with the Black Library or any of its affiliates. You can find both the vidcast and podcast on our website, wh40kbookclub.com. If you like this episode, please like, subscribe, give a review, and all those good things to the vidcast on YouTube or the podcast on anywhere you get podcasts. Don't forget, we also have a Patreon where we offer two different tiers of content for your viewing and listening pleasure. You can learn more about that at patreon.com slash wh40k book club. Our site also has articles about our adventures and reading other Warhammer 40k books and short stories outside of the book club books. So please stay well and read from a crag. Oh, and by the way, I'm Alfaris. See, it says it right here.
Right here. Um, actually, with the sweater tonight, all I can say is blood for the blood god! Um, it's so warm. Custodies. Eagles. That's all I got. <laughs> Good night, everybody. of the Warhammer 40k book club was hosted by Jen Bozier and me. Recording and editing of both the vidcast and podcast were done by me. The book club questions and discussion format were done by Jen, and all of our music is by Jingle Punks. The Warhammer 40k book club is a Warhammer LLC production. This is a Voxcast that even he, Cato Sicarius, would approve.